Guys, welcome to the Jerry and Jerry Show. This is Tuesday morning in downtown Charlottesville. We're about a, a mile and change from Scott Stadium, the home for the uh, Georgia Tech-UVA football game. And I haven't said this, I think, in, uh, in some time on this network and on this talk show, but Virginia football is a two-point favorite with the 2 p.m. kickoff as the rambling rack kick Charlottesville. Thank you kindly for joining us. My name is Jerry Miller. You'll see our Virginia Sports Hall of Famer and the godfather of Virginia sports here in a matter of moments, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. The show airs wherever you get your podcasts, all over social media, and you, the viewer and listener, are encouraged to leave comments in the comment section and ask questions and shape the discussion. Judah Woodcower, the director and producer of the show. Judah, if you can go to the studio camera and let's go to the two shot later and welcome Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe to the program. My friend, four games decided by three points or less on this season. The unfortunate nature of that stat is those four games were all losses. Yes, no question about it. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow when you're trying to rebuild a program. The frustrations mount, the, not just with the coaching staff and the players, but the fan base and everyone involved makes, makes it uh, for a rough season. I mean, there's no question about it. Although uh, you would think because they beat North Carolina on the road, we talked about that last week, they took Miami to the wire. Um, they're favored this week at home against Georgia Tech, a team which has only won here twice since that infamous 1990 showdown when Virginia was number one in the nation. Uh, you, would th- you would think that the fan base would feel a little better right now, though, because of the recent history, uh, the last three weeks, and the possibility of, of finishing out strong. I, I wrote a column this week. Uh, the old coaches remember they re, they remember November, and and November is George Welsh used to focus on that too. It was November is is the time when teams should be playing their best football and it's what people remember and Virginia has an opportunity here to do something they they play Georgia Tech here um, that would be a, a feather in their cap if they can continue that home dominance over the Yellow Jackets then they play um, at Louisville which I don't know about that one because Louisville right now is looking like they might be the best, the number two team in the ACC. Then you play uh, Duke here and Virginia Tech here, and Duke is struggling now, and Virginia Tech is uh, they're they're playing better, uh, but it's a it's a game where you would think because of the rivalry factor it would be a chance to win. So. Uh, three of those four games, I, th- I think they have an excellent opportunity to to pull off a win. And yeah, if I'm a Wahoo fan, that's that's all you could ex- expect at this at this point of of this season. I I, I am I, I I think you hit it perfectly. I think the temperature, and I'm curious of your take. The temperature of the fan base, the mood, has changed. Yes. Coming out of the, uh, I mean. I'd say the low point probably of the season was the loss to Boston College where Virginia football, what, you you lose to Tennessee, you lose to JMU, you lose to Maryland, you lose to NC State, you lose to Boston College, you start the season 0-5. The fan base 
before the William & Mary matchup was calling for Coach Elliott's head. Yep, a lot of them were. A lot of, a lot of the fan base was. Then you beat William & Mary 27-13. Still the fan base is angry. They chalk up the victory against the Tribe as playing an extremely inferior opponent and a victory that didn't matter as much as some of the others, uh, other games on the schedule. You go to UNC, you shock the world on national TV, the greatest road win, some say, in UVA history uh, against North Carolina and Chapel Hill. Then you lose to Miami in overtime. Neither you nor I are, are moral victory guys. Right. But you can make a legitimate argument they should beat in the Hurricanes. There's four games on this schedule that were decided by three points or less that all went against the Wahoos. The mood, the temperature, how do you characterize it now, and how is it different coming out of that Boston College loss? Yeah, I think, I think the fan base was split. I, I don't know what proportions. I, I don't know if you could call it 50-50. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, but uh, some were calling for Elliott's head. Some were calling for Des Kitchen's head, the offensive coordinator. <clears throat> some people were on board saying, hey, give the guy a chance. He deserves to get another recruiting class in here. Uh, Which you were. Get his own personnel that can run his system. And uh, I think that has cooled, cooled off considerably after the North Carolina win. Now, that was a huge feather in Virginia's cap, pulling off uh, beating a, a number 10 team in the country on the road. Now, some of the glitter has come off that uh, after last week when Georgia Tech managed to beat the Tar Heels and, and ran up considerable yardage on on that team so uh carolina's probably going to fall out of the top 25 at this point after suffering back-to-back losses to teams with losing records but still uh, anytime you beat north carolina and on the road it's a it's a good thing for virginia and coming in here now uh well you know taking miami to the wire down there that, that game could have gone either way 100 percent they you know, you wouldn't think, looking on paper, that Virginia and Miami's football program are on par, but Virginia has played Miami closer than than any opponent they've had in recent years. They, it, the last three years, I think all three games have been decided by three three points or less, and a couple of those were in Miami. So. The last two in overtime, Virginia couldn't score last year in four overtimes. Uh, could only muster a field goal this past weekend down in in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. You know, if they score a touchdown there instead of kicking a field goal, even if even if Miami's matched them with another touchdown, it, it, they have a they still have a <laughs> strong chance to win that game in a second overtime. They just for some reason don't seem to play well in overtime. They they struggle to score. But I think going forward, like you said, uh, Georgia Tech here, uh, Georgia Tech has some momentum, but, you know, Virginia can win that game. UVA is a two-point favorite, boys and girls. The over-under with the 2 p.m. kickoff at Scott Stadium, 54-and-a-half. The CW network, unfortunately, showing the game. I know a lot of Wahoo fans do not get that network. Kevin Higgins, we'll get to your comment in a matter of moments. Viewers and listeners, if you have comments or questions or you want to shape the discussion, put them in the feed. I will relay them live on air to the godfather of Virginia sports, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. 
if Virginia wins out, they got six wins, they're bowl eligible. Yeah. The we'll cut to the chase. There are too many college football bowls out there. There is because there's too many bowl games. You occasionally see five and seven football teams make it to the postseason. So that means if Virginia wins three of the next four games, they could finish five and seven and could have a chance, a hope and a prayer to make the playoffs in one of those lower tier bowls. I'll put it that way. It's putting it nicely. No question about it. The, and, and, the, and lower tier bowl right now would seem like the Super Bowl. Would seem like the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Would seem yeah, like the Super Bowl. No question. I'm going to give you a hypothetical scenario. Viewers and listeners, I'm asking this scenario to you as well. If Tony Elliott and Virginia football win three of their next four games or win out, they finish five and seven or six and six. Is Tony Elliott the ACC coach of the year? If they finish uh, six and six, he should be ACC coach of the year because uh, considering where they were, started 0-5, coming off a tragedy last year, uh, clearly on the hot seat in in some people's minds, uh, to turn that around and and go six and six, I think it's a lot lot like uh, what Scott Satterfield did at Louisville last year when they came to Virginia a lot of people thought he would get fired that week if they lost to Virginia. Instead, they won, turned their season around, and he got out of Dodge and, and found another job. But, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that catches voters' eyes when they're looking for a, a coach who doesn't always go to the guy who wins the, the league title or whatever, but for somebody who's coached their butt off. And if you get, they go six and six, this this guy has coached his butt off. He, he's coached his butt off anyway, but still, uh, that's uh, evidence of it. I'll put I'll, I'll put the argument together. Throw it to you. Yeah. You have a a tragedy, mass murder last year. Season cut short. You start the year zero and five. Your projected starting quarterback Jay Wolfolk says, "I'm not going to play quarterback. I'm just going to focus on baseball." You bring in a transfer in Musket, who was in the preseason thought to be the backup quarterback. He comes from a lower tier of football. He's playing big-time football. Wolfolk says, I'm going to play baseball. Musket comes in, gets hurt against Tennessee in the opener. You get blown out by Tennessee. You lose to James Madison University. That, victor- that loss could be chalked up to maybe not coming out of the locker room that right, the right way after a torrential downpour. You got half the fan base, or a per, I'll be realistic, a portion of the fan base calling for the coach's head or the offensive coordinator's head. You beat William and Mary. You beat North Carolina on the road. And you have a chance to finish 5-7 and seven or 6-6. Six and six. Let's see how the cards play out. That has all the makings to me of a potential coach of the year resume. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, if they if they win three of the last four, that means they've won five of their last uh, what six, seven games. Um, that that's that's pretty darn good. Uh, strong way to finish. And when we say they remember November, that that certainly would be a November to remember for the right reasons. I mean the. the you just look at it, and 
on paper that they have a chance in at least three of those games, if not four. Uh, going out to Louisville won't be easy because Louisville, that Virginia traditionally doesn't play that well out there. Um, and Louisville's pretty darn good. They, they have a new coaching staff who's got their act together. They have some talent in that program and could be the number two team in the ACC. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Louisville only has to face Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Miami to finish the season. So uh, I think the schedule f- favors them for finishing number two and playing Florida State in the ACC championship game in Charlotte next, well, in December. Um, but, yeah, the, f- the fact that Virginia's in position to do this is something that I think if you'd have told Virginia fans when they were row and five, hey, you still have a chance to go to a bowl game, uh, as remote as it may seem, uh, they would have laughed you out of the building. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And and here and here we are. It it's it's a it's a distinct possibility. And 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 other positives to highlight for Virginia football. Anthony Calandria still has a red shirt intact. He does. Musket is showing he has maybe more upside than we gave him credit for. Right. Musket's got another year. Mm-hmm. Calandria, from everything we're reading, is committed to the program. I mean, you're intimately tied to this program. You know it inside and out. Yeah. I that, read you. <laughs> I'll cut to the chase. I read JerryRatcliffe.com. Yeah, they, they, you know, Tony and his coaches have talked to the Calandria family, and they're all, all on board with this plan. Uh, you know, things can always change. Of course. You never know. But, uh, I mean, if Musket gets hurt, they'll have to burn his redshirt year anyway. But that's the plan. If they don't have to play him, they won't. And he's good with coming back next year and competing for the starting job with Musket. I mean, this 2-6 this and six football team, Wahoos are 2-6 and six right now on the season, and they're 1-3 in, uh, in conference play. They're not playing like a two and six football team. No, not at all. This two and six football team looks like it can beat anyone left on its schedule except for maybe Louisville. And the only reason we're highlighting Louisville is because they're seven and one on the season, four and one in conference play, and in the driver's seat to play for an ACC championship against what is clear cut the best football team in the conference, the Florida State Seminoles. Virginia against Georgia Tech, a two-point favorite with a 54.5, 54.5-point over-under kickoff at 2 o'clock. Talk to me about this Ramblin' Rack-Wahoo matchup. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I would, I would think these teams would be fairly even on paper when you look at them. Uh, they're coming off a 46-42 to 42 comeback shocker at, at home against North Carolina, and in, in some ways, I wasn't that surprised by that because uh, Carolina looked vulnerable. They, they they looked vulnerable. I think Virginia exposed some things with the uh, outside zone running play that offense that Virginia has mastered over the past few weeks. Uh, Georgia Tech did the same thing, and Andrew Jones, who we had on a podcast the week before, of the. Carolina game. Uh, I ran into him at the ACC basketball media day last Wednesday in Charlotte, and he said, um, "You know, Carolina's 
fans are terrified of going to Georgia Tech this weekend because Carolina just doesn't play well in Atlanta. And he was he was right. And um, Haynes King, their quarterback from Texas, Georgia Tech's quarterback, who most fans in the ACC probably had never even heard of, was uh, ACC quarterback of the week. He was uh, one of the national quarterbacks of the week. He had 300 and he accounted for 377 of Georgia Tech's 635 yards in total offense against the Tar Heels. Uh, <clears throat> they have some of the fastest receivers that Virginia's going to see all season. And you, you think back at some of those great Georgia Tech teams with um, when they ran the triple option and the, even they couldn't put, put up 635 yards offense on Carolina, but but these guys did. So it's Georgia uh, Tech's got a lot to play for. They they really do, and I, you know they're kind of like Virginia. They they have a they had a new coach that took over as an interim guy last year. He was on Nick Saban's staff before he came back to his alma mater. He's got a lot of pride in his program. He's trying to build something there in Atlanta. So, you know, they're they're kind of in the same boat as Virginia. They're trying to, you know, finish strong and, and give their fans some hope for the future. Ramblin' Rec, 4-4 four and four on the season overall, 3-2 and two in conference play. Get this, Georgia Tech, 254 points scored on the season, 254 points allowed on the year. Georgia Tech, again, 4-4 four and four overall, 3-2 and two in conference play. They closed the season, the Yellow Jackets, at Virginia this Saturday, at Clemson. Clemson looks vulnerable. We got comments coming in from viewers and listeners for you about Clemson. Home against Syracuse, and they always close against the Georgia Bulldogs to end the campaign. So they're at Virginia, at Clemson, Syracuse, and Georgia. Two more wins to get bowl eligible. Georgia Tech has got a lot to play for. This question comes in from Greenwood, Virginia, from Kevin Higgins. He's a football coach locally. He watches the show uh, religiously. He said, Hootie, I'd love your take on the effect of Tony Elliott's departure and what what the impact it has had on Clemson football. That's a good question. <clears throat> Their offense has struggled mightily ever since he left. I mean, it didn't, they didn't have a great offense his final year there. But, uh, you know, Clemson lost both their coordinators at the same time. The, the other guy went to Oklahoma as the head coach, and Tony came here. Tony <clears throat> was in the running for that Tennessee job and withdrew his name. So uh, it's been interesting to see what's happened to the Tigers since those guys left. Uh, in fact... Dabo Sweeney has replaced the guy who replaced Tony Elliott. Uh, Dabo Sweeney just went off on a caller. Did you see that? I I, I don't know if it's the same caller from the comments I saw, but uh, it was the one. The one that caught my eye was when he said, uh, "Maybe we need to lose a few games to get get some people off our bandwagon or something." And Doubt that he really meant that. But. Right. I hope he, he's making eleven and a half million dollars a year. I hope he really. I don't think he meant that. <laughs> exactly. But uh, you know, it's been weird watching what's happened to Clemson. I, I knew they weren't on par with the teams that were making the college football playoffs in the past, but 
I still think that they have recruited well enough to be much better than than what they've shown us so far. They've been very vulnerable. Uh, I think they've I, – I won't say it was a mistake or that they totally missed on this new quarterback, Cade Klubnick out of Texas. He was heralded as the top quarterback candidate in the, in the country when he came in there, and that uh, they essentially put him in last year in the bowl game and ran off their starter uh, – whose name I struggled to pronounce, Hugo Lale or something like that, who's having a good year out at Oregon State. Uh, but Klubnik has, has made uh, a lot of mistakes in, in the games I've seen, and maybe you can't blame all, all the losing on the quarterback, but he's certainly a part of it. Their defense hasn't been the typical Clemson defense we've seen either. So uh, perhaps Tony Elliott's departure did have more of an impact than, than people had previously thought. Tony Elliott, guys, the fan base rallying around the head coach and the staff right now. Comments are coming in fast and furious. Bill, thank you for uh, interacting with the program. Grayson's watching in North Downtown, and he's got a question for Jerry Ratcliffe. He says, Tony Musket looks like he's improving with every single game. Would Tony Musket not be the front runner to be the starter going into next year? Well, he certainly would, uh, especially if he finishes off this campaign in a good fashion, which there's no indication that he won. He's, I think that's why he won the job in training camp was that he wasn't going to make a lot of mistakes. So we've talked about this a lot this season, Jerry, and that he – he doesn't have to be a superstar. He doesn't have to be Peyton Manning or something, or, or even Drake May for that matter. He just needs to be a serviceable guy, and and he knows this. He's he's the first to point out. He says, "I want to be like the point guard in basketball. I want to get the ball in the hands of my playmakers." And he's done a really good job of that. He's a, he's a guy that you just you don't want him to beat you. Uh, to beat to beat himself. Uh, last week in Miami, he did a little bit of that, throwing that pick six. It was a really uh, careless throw, and it, it may have cost Virginia the football game. But uh, certainly, he's a kid who pours his heart into it. He's a very dedicated athlete. He's given up his body to help Virginia win. He's playing hurt. He's playing with a with a busted shoulder that's going to require surgery when the season's over. And he's playing in pain. He's playing hurt. Uh, he's giving everything he's got to this football program and his teammates. And you have to admire that. And I'm Definitely. sure that's why the players are rallied around him and playing hard for him. And and that makes a difference when, when your teammates believe in you and are inspired by you and see that you're putting everything on the line. They're going to do anything they can to help you win. And, and to support you. But uh, everything I've seen, he, he, he might not have as talented an arm as Calandria, but he makes better decisions. He's a veteran. He's been in the wars, football wars. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he will definitely be the favorite to start again next year. You know, you, you always go with the guy who's proves it in practice. And, you know, that's the one thing where in August and the other times 
these coaches were seeing the, these guys compete every day in practice, and they don't just watch the practice. They break down the film every day after practice and see who's doing things right and who's making mistakes. And they're going to go with the guy who gives them the best chance to win. They're, they're not going to play favorites. They, they are going to go with the guy who they believe can give them the best chance to win. That's, um, a, that's what every football coach does. You got Kelsey watching a Richmond, Richmond, and she wants us to talk um, Malik Washington. And, and, and Kelsey, you are 100% right here. Let me give uh, Malik Washington's season totals to Jerry Hootie Rackley. Yeah. 68 catches in eight games played. This guy's averaging eight plus catches per game. This guy is averaging 117 yards per game. He's got six touchdowns, almost a touchdown a contest. Let's, re- let's highlight the fact that this is his first year in the system. Let's highlight the fact that he's played with two quarterbacks, including one who's a freshman. Let's highlight the fact that they open against Tennessee. He's got six TDs, 935 receiving yards. This guy is leading. Washington is leading the ACC in catches. He's leading the ACC in receiving yards. He is second in receiving touchdowns. Coleman at Florida State's number one with nine. There's a three-way tie in the second slot with Malik Washington, Thrash from Louisville, and the kid from NC State. And he's leading the ACC in receiving yards per game. You're looking at what you're looking at an all ACC first team wide receiver right here. Certainly should be. If he's not, there needs to be an investigation. But he's also in the top five in the NCAA in almost all those categories as well. And, you know, we're talking about getting the hands, the ball into the hands of your playmakers. I mean, Muscat has done a great job of getting the ball to Washington. And they have great chemistry. They are their roommates, which probably helps. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, and so they have incredible respect and chemistry with one another. Um, I mean, there's only two other receivers in UVA history, Dontavian Wicks and Jermaine Crowell back in the, back in the uh, 90s that have had as many 100-yard receiving games in a season as Malik has. And uh, Malik is not a big guy. He's no. only 5'8", 190 pounds, and he's fast. He's really fast. He's got great speed. He's got great hands. He has great instincts. He doesn't run like a receiver. That's why one of the reasons why we've seen him do some really cool things. He's broke, he'll catch the ball, and breaks tackles. He runs more like a running back once he catches the ball than he does uh, like a wide receiver. So this guy is, is incredibly talented and. He he could end up breaking some records in only one season here in in Virginia football. He, I mean, he, right now he's he's the most dangerous guy on the football field by far. You want to get the ball in his hands as much as possible, and they target him at a least lot. at least fifteen times a game, and, and maybe they should <laughs> increase that number somehow. Hundred um, percent. She follows up with this question: What is his professional upside? Uh, there's always room for a guy who can do the things that he does. Again, his size won't help him, but as an inside receiver, you can move him around the field more. He, um, 
like I said, he, he's got great speed, so that will not be a problem in the NFL. He has good hands. He has good instincts and good yards after catch ability. And that's what NFL scouts are looking for. Again, um, some people may not like his size, but you have to fall in love with his ability to do things with the ball. We we fell in love with Billy Kemp here in the past, and he's, Malik has come into that position as a slot, mostly a slot inside receiver, and done even better than Billy, which is hard to believe because Billy Kemp was a uh, at times was one of your most MVPs on on the field. And and right now, if they had a team MVP, it would probably be Malik Washington because he there's nothing that he seemingly can't do. I, I think he has a def, somebody definitely out there in the NFL is going to go with this guy. Um, follow-up question for Jerry Ratcliffe. And viewers and listeners, you can shape the discussion by asking questions of the godfather of Virginia sports, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, 40-plus years on the UVA beat. Stevens watching in Hampton. Mike Collins has seemed to really be coming in his own uh, Stephen Wrights. Can Ratcliffe give us his take on why Mike Collins has had more success over the last few games than perhaps his entire career? Well, he's had more opportunities, for one thing, and I, I think he simply has gained the trust in practice of, of his coaching staff. They are not afraid to give him the ball under any game situations, and when you look at, at what he does, uh, he's terrific in short yardage. And, I mean, he's a, he's a big, he's a big bo- stocky guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he, he's muscle. <laughs> he's he, a north-south bruiser. He, he was, yeah, I mean, he was a star running back in high school down in Louisiana in Baton Rouge. He went to, the, I think, the Baton Rouge school. And uh, I think the guy that – he replaced on his high school team, placed for LSU at running back, or at least did. I don't know if he's still around or not. But uh, the kid, he's big, he's strong, he has decent speed. He's, he doesn't have breakaway speed. But uh, you get him between the tackles down there in the inside the 10-yard line or in anywhere near that, he has a, a nose for the end zone, Jerry, just like Wayne Talapapa did. Talapapa sometimes wasn't that effective uh, in various spots on the field, but you get him down near the goal line, he was going to score somehow. And if you've watched Mike Hollins the last few weeks, he just runs over people. Uh, he's a big physical runner. He's a north-south runner. Uh, he doesn't need to dance around or any of that stuff. You give him the ball and he, he heads straight ahead and will try to run over anybody in his way. He's just come on strong. I I think it's just uh, the maturation and and the fact that, I mean, just consider what happened to him two weeks a year ago, two weeks from now a year ago, when he was shot twice in the back uh, trying to help save the people on that bus. And for him to even be playing football is somewhat of a miracle, I think. The fact that he's lining up and scoring touchdowns in big games is a, just a testimony to his dedication 
not just as a football player, but as a human being, just being able to overcome incredible adversity like that. Uh, it's mind-boggling. It's one of the great stories in college football. Um, Mike Collins, guys, is undoubtedly one of the great stories, not just of college football, but maybe one of the great stories of Virginia football and its history. And when Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe writes his next history book of Virginia sports and Virginia football, I would imagine uh, Mr. Mike Collins is going to have a, a handful of pages directed or, or, or allocated directly to him. Comments are coming in quickly. Let's get to this one. This one's from Spencer, who's watching in uh, Virginia Beach. To get bowl eligible, they're going to have to win the rest of the games. That's doable except for maybe Louisville. What's Hootie's take on the Louisville contest and how Virginia can beat the Cardinals? Well, it won't be easy. Louisville is pretty darn good. Uh, they're out there seven hours west of us, and we don't hear that much about them, really, uh, like you do at a lot of the ACC schools that are, are – uh, I don't know, more more familiar to the program, even though Virginia and Louisville were, have been uh, scheduled partners ever since they came into the league and took Maryland's place. Uh, Louisville's solid. Uh, I don't think they have a lot of weaknesses. And the fact – I watched their game against Notre Dame, and they dominated Notre Dame from wire to wire in that contest. It's a tough place to play. Uh, they've really – done a great job in building that stadium and adding to it over the years it can be an intimidating excuse me an intimidating place to play they have a great fan base uh, I mean Louisville is the largest city in Kentucky and there's no pro sports teams there I guess the closest one is Cincinnati uh, up the interstate from them but that is their pro team and uh, they sell out or up up until recently when their basketball program took a toll. They had a 10-year a wait for season tickets for basketball. I don't know if it's quite that much for football, but they have great fan base. And, and I mean, that is Louisville's team, and there's a lot of people out there. Uh, they're good. The, this coaching staff, uh, Coach Brum, uh, he was a quarterback at Louisville. His brothers, I think one or maybe two brothers are on this staff. One of those was a quarterback at Louisville as well. So they're well coached. They do a good job of recruiting. Uh, a lot of people thought that they were going to be pretty good this year. We, we were taking a wait and see on them because there's – Sometimes they stagger out of the gate, but this year they've they've been pretty solid all around. They they were upset once and and probably shouldn't have lost that game. So it's a solid football team with I, I don't see any glaring weaknesses in it. You got a Florida State Louisville ACC championship. I, I don't see how that's not going to happen. Uh, it's going to be a big game this week when Louisville hosts Virginia Tech because uh, Virginia Tech right now is the nearest team to Louisville in the standings. The Three Hokies. and one in conference play, Virginia Tech yeah. four and four overall. Yeah. They've surged of late, the Hokies. They have surged of late and, and they're playing better football. And you gotta give them credit. And you know, if they can go out there and upset Louisville, uh, 
all of a sudden they're in the driver's seat for the second spot in the league, and who would have guessed that? But, uh, you know, I, right now, imagining Louisville losing to Tech, Virginia, or even Miami, uh, I think that game is at Miami. Um, and then that could that could end up settling some things as well. But I, you know, right now you would have to make Louisville the favorite to to finish second in the league. Virginia Tech guys at Louisville Saturday, at Boston College the following week, Chestnut Hill twelve o'clock on the eleventh of November, NC State and Blacksburg on the eighteenth, and the Wahoos in Charlottesville to close the season. Virginia Tech with Louisville, Boston College, NC State, and Virginia. Very similar to UVA, could potentially win three or four ball games, maybe run the schedule here, and turn a season that started pretty pitifully. I mean, the Hokies at one point were one and three to start the campaign. Right. They beat Pittsburgh and Blacksburg, then they lost to, to Florida State. So they were what? Two and four, and Hokie, Hokie fan base was calling for their, their skipper's head. Literally, we're, we're, we're ready to burn their coach in effigy. Now they've turned the season around, much like UVA. Well, UVA is trying to turn the season around. Four and four overall and three and one in conference play. And literally right now, the Hokies are third in the ACC uh, standings. I mean, it's just, it shows you that maybe the conference outside of Florida State, not a lot of dominant teams here. we got one real good football team and then a bunch of parity. Right, and and some pretty decent football teams. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't want to play some of these these teams, really, and and I can understand why. I mean, you you look and you take a team like Miami, who has struggled in recent weeks, but they they got athletes all over the ball. Yeah, I mean, they beat the tar out of Texas A and M earlier in the season, and A and M was supposed to be pretty good this year. It hasn't turned out that way, but. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the league is as bad as, as people project it to be. I think it's gotten better uh, in the past couple of years. So, and they, they're producing a lot of good NFL players as well. But uh, it, it looks like to me that Louisville is the team to beat. Again, you know, nobody's safe in this league, it, it doesn't appear, except maybe Florida State. But it, it, Everything, you know, Louisville playing Tech and UVA at home and then going to Miami with everything on the line, perhaps, uh, it, it's a strong case to make them as the number two team in the league. Diego Anderson, thank you for watching the program today. We appreciate your support. Viewers and listeners, ask us some, some questions. We'll relay them live on air. Logan Wells Clalo, thank you for watching the program. Florida State, number four in both polls. Number four in both polls, four in the AP top 25, four in the, in the uh, coaches poll. Um, I want to throw this to you here. The over-under for victories this year for UVA was three and a half. That's where the Vegas odds makers had uh, total win count for UVA football, 3.5 wins. Do you take the over on 3.5 with where you're at now or the under? Wow. So they're going to have to win two more games. It's going to be a tough, it's gonna be a tough, uh, tough one. I, I... I think if they beat Georgia Tech this Saturday, I think they'll get the over. So I, I'm not so 
sold on Duke right now, especially with Riley Leonard struggling like he is at quarterback. I, I would think if they can beat Georgia Tech at home, I would take the over. I think they're going to beat Duke here. And uh, then that last game of the season against the Hokies will be up in the air. But if they beat Georgia Tech, I think there's a really good chance they finish with at least four wins. And if they do that, then I, I would think Virginia's fan base should be ecstatic. Ecstatic that not only did they surpass – a lot of expectations because a lot of people didn't think they would win two games, let alone three or four. And it could blow up. They, that may end up being the case. But indications are that they'll have a chance to win three, four football games or more. And you got to give everybody credit for hanging in there and, and not just folding like a tent. Yeah. These guys are, are, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to take them lightly. Uh, you talk, I've, you know, I've listened to Mac Brown and Mario Cristobal and, and other guys of late, and and they they had a tremendous respect for this football team. So I, nobody's going to take them lightly. Um, viewers and listeners, I see the comments coming in. We certainly appreciate you. This one. Um is a pretty good question right here. This is from Thomas, who's watching the Baltimore area. He says, who's Hootie's uh, vote for Coach of the Year right now? Well, haven't even thought about it. Um, I would say right now, if things continue on trending the way they are at this point, I, I would think that Coach Brom out of Louisville would end up being the ACC Coach of the Year because um, just the fact that they could end up playing in the championship game in his first year as, as taking over the program, um, I think I think would speak volumes to his case. Yeah, um, I, I, my vote's the same right there. Um, Louisville right now, if they make it to the ACC championship, even if they lose to Florida State, pretty darn good finish uh, for the Cardinals. What are the keys to victory against Georgia Tech? I think uh, Virginia, who, who's made a living off the outside – zone run the past few weeks. Um, Carolina couldn't stop it. They did a good job against Miami with it. If they can continue to do that, and Georgia Tech does the same thing, so it'll be interesting to see how Georgia Tech adjusts to that and how Virginia might have a countermeasure if Georgia Tech does adjust to that. Um, I think that's been a big key to Virginia's success of late that outside outside zone running uh they have it's it's a thing where the your tackler your excuse me your blockers don't have to uh go man man to man blocking you block you go you flood a zone with blockers they take off whoever's in their way pick off whoever's in their way and they have running backs who are are pretty good at 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 running that play, particularly I think Paris Jones, because it demands a, a running back who has speed, can f- find the running lane quickly, and just explode through it. Paris Jones is really good at that. We've seen him rip off some really long runs. In fact, I'd like, I'd like to see them give him the ball a little bit more. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, he has an incredible per carry average. Um, and, and the other backs are are maybe not quite as proficient at it as he is 
in terms of being uh, a guy who bolts through that running lane, but uh, Pace and Hollins are big enough to take some tacklers with them if, if they get some steam behind them. I think that's the whole key to the Georgia Tech game is if Virginia can continue to run the football. Well, we saw – I totally agree with you. We saw against North Carolina. We saw it in spurts against the Hurricanes. When they run the football, they control time of possession. They take the pressure off a of musket. Musket doesn't have to be a world beater. Then the mistakes that could happen do not happen for musket. The defense stays fresh. The defense performs better when it's catching its breath on the sidelines. If Hollins and Jones and this running back by committee can move the football, then Virginia's upside is significantly more promising than if Musket has to throw 30 or 40 times plus in a contest. No question about it. Um, I've always been one, at least in college football, for the most part, where I think passing numbers are losing numbers. If you rely too heavily on the pass, it, it makes it awfully hard to win. You can't be a one-dimensional football team unless you just have an NFL quarterback and NFL receivers. And they in don't your have system. that. No, they don't. And you know, I, I think that uh, yeah, I think they've re- relied on Musket a little bit with the quarterback draw a little too much. Uh, people are catching on to that now, and I think that hurt them some at Miami. He did make a few nice gains with that, but. He was caught behind the line of scrimmage a couple of times. They, they gave up 10 tackles for loss and six sacks against a really good Miami defensive front, a very intimidating group. But um, I, I think they're going to have to maybe go away from that a little bit, pick, pick and choose a little more carefully not overuse that play and, and find something else that works. This via LinkedIn Direct message on LinkedIn. Does uh, This is from David. David, thank you for watching. Uh, works in finance in the Richmond area. He says, does uh, he, he doesn't like Mr. Ratcliffe. It's either Hootie or Jerry on this talk show. Does Jerry think a coaching change with any of the assistants will happen in the offseason? I don't think so. Um, the fact that they've gotten things sort of reversed and having some success uh, I think if there's any changes, it'll be because those coaches elect to leave and go somewhere else. I, I don't think Tony Elliott will dismiss anyone. I, I think he believes firmly in Des Kitchens. In fact, if you if you talk to Tony, he says if, if you want to talk X's and O's with somebody who really knows X's and O's, talk to Des. So I think he has complete trust in Des, and, and uh, you know Des Kitchens was. National Offensive Coordinator of the Week two weeks ago after that Carolina game. So maybe he's getting a better feel for the program. I know that he looked at a lot of things during their bye week, eliminated some plays that just weren't working, and he admitted, he said, hey, I I put our team in some bad spots on third down in the first six games. And um, early, Yeah, first six games. And so uh, I, I think I think Tony wants to see what this staff can do another year from now when they have uh, had another year to, to get settled into this program and, and get some of their players. I, I 1,000% agree. Uh, offensive line play has improved. We've seen them starting to coalesce and gel. 
um, as the season has progressed, clearly a weakness to start the campaign. Virginia's offensive line maybe getting some, you know, some confidence against William and Mary, more confidence against North Carolina, showed some flashes of dominance against Miami. The Hoos are going to need the O-line to really perform well with four, four uh, games left on the schedule and a chance to get bowl eligible. Yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to Terry Heffernan, the new offensive line coach who came here from Stanford. Um, Des said, you know, that guy has busted his butt in the past few weeks and trying to get this offensive line to mature and and gel. And, and there's signs of that. They, he's taken some guys, uh, it was sort of a patchwork offensive line from some young guys that had little or no starting experience coming back, um, some transfers that have come in. And e- even some of the guys who weren't playing that well early on uh, guys like Ty Furnish, who graded out low, uh, and and Nana, uh, Ugana Nana. Both Say that three times fast. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to try that. Uh, both those guys have improved in, in the second half of the season, and the left side has, has done a great job. Uh, Mikel Boley over there at left tackle, is he could end up being a really good one. Uh, he, he comes from NFL – Blood, pedigree, yeah, play. yeah, good pedigree. So, uh, this offensive line is is uh, making some strides, and and they're going to have to lean heavily on that down the stretch if they want to if they want to win more games and and have a chance even as a five and seven team to possibly make it to a lower tier tier bowl. They're going to need the offensive line to get the job done. What's your crystal ball? We'll dot the I's and cross the T's on football. We'll talk Tony Bennett and Wahoo basketball. Uh, Bennett's boys, guys, fourth in the preseason poll. Uh, Hootie Ratcliffe was down in Charlotte for ACC Media Day last week, and he really made my day this morning in the pre-production meeting when he said, next time we're, we're on air with the Jerry and Jerry show, we're going to have a basketball game to talk about. Tarleton yeah. State. Um, in the house at the JPJ this coming Monday with the 7 p.m. tip-off, then Florida and Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, a nice little SEC-ACC uh, matchup for game two in the season. Dot the I's, cross the T's here. How do you see the rest of the team, rest of the schedule playing out with UVA football? Well, I think the Georgia Tech game is kind of a toss-up. Uh, the had Georgia Tech not beaten North Carolina so thoroughly the other night, I, I would have thought Virginia would win this game. Uh, I, I think it's kind of a toss-up now because Georgia Tech has got some momentum going. But it is a home game. And, and like Tony Elliott said, I think this is going to be a point of emphasis this week. He said, you know, we haven't won an ACC home game at Scott Stadium since I've been here. So I think that's going to be a big point in practice this week to defend your home and the fact that Virginia's playing well you know as a two-point favorite I think they have a good chance to win that game I, I don't see them winning at Louisville then I think they come back I think I really think they're going to beat Duke I've, I've thought that for quite some time now uh, Leonard again if if he returns to 100 percent Maybe not, but uh, Duke has looked a little vulnerable over the past few weeks, and 
I don't think their program is really that far ahead of Virginia in terms of talent. So I, I think that's a toss-up game at the moment, and I think the Hokies, even though they're playing well, the game is here. I know that hasn't meant a lot in the past. It did in 2019. But I think I think that right now that game's a toss-up too. So I, I think three of their last four games are toss-ups. A couple of them, Virginia might be favored to win. Uh, I just don't see them winning at Louisville unless something magical happens. If, if they finish 5-7, and seven, do you accept the bull berth? Absolutely. Same. Yeah. It's a springboard for, for hope for next year. Absolutely. More practice, more opportunity to figure out Tony's Elliott system, uh, Dez's kitchen system, more opportunity to figure out who the guys, the starters are for next year. I mean, it's, I, I never understood the knock of, of, of not playing even in a lower-tier postseason. You see this a lot with college basketball. We'll talk college basketball in a matter of moments. Just like college football, there's a lot of watered-down postseason play. As a guy who's just a diehard college sports fan, I'll take any of it. Yeah, I, th- I think you hit on it exactly, Jerry. When you said extra practice, it, it's almost like an extra spring practice if you get to go to a bowl game, and it really helps you bring along some of your younger players or some other guys. It's a reward for these guys. Uh, the fact that they didn't give up when they were 0-5, the fact that they can feel good about themselves uh, going to a bowl game, getting some swag, getting some extra attention. Uh, it's, a, it's a trip. They usually try to make it fun for players. Um, and just the fact that, you know, at that time last year, they were watching everybody else playing bowl games. They were going to funerals and, uh, mourning their lost teammates and things. So uh, what a reward it would be for these players to experience something like that a little over a year after those uh, senseless shootings. Um, and, you know, a lot, you know, you win that bowl game, uh, you could be six and six and well, yeah I mean you six and seven if you win the bowl game yeah. if you get in at five and seven yeah six and seven that, or if you win the bowl game and you're six and six you could finish above 500 yeah so you know that that speaks volumes about from where this um, team came I, one of my favorite quotes of all time and I think it's from anonymous but it's uh don't judge me from the stars I've reached but from the depths that I have climbed and so that would perfectly fit this football team if they could accomplish something of that magnitude. Well said. Well said. The guys in Virginia Sports Hall of Famer guys I promise we'll talk basketball. I'm seeing the comments coming in for folks wanting us to talk round ball here. Fourth in the preseason poll was it uh, Duke UNC Miami UVA yeah, uh, well, it was Duke, Miami, UNC. Duke, Miami, UNC, UNC UVA. Yeah. Um, fourth in the poll. This guy was down there in Charlotte. First, before we talk basketball and players, personnel, coaches, and X's and O's, put the whirlwind of media day in perspective for uh, award-winning journalists and columnists like yourself. Well, it, it's, it's kind of changed over the years, the football one more than the basketball one, but... Um, it's pretty cool because, you know, you're in a hotel in downtown Charlotte. You're there from 
early morning until late in the afternoon. Uh, it's basketball manna, if, if that's your thing. Uh, it, it's amazing to see some people staying at that hotel, coming into the lobby or whatever, and, and just uh, becoming starstruck at seeing all these coaches and players that a lot of, of them watch on TV several times a week throughout the season. But it's it's a it's a bit of a grind. You um, you have the it probably even more so for the coaches and players because not only do they have to go through the print media interviews, they have to go through Radio Row um, for multiple interviews from stations all over the ACC. Then they have to uh, deal with the ACC network and ESPN TV uh, setups there. So it's it's a, a real grind for them because they're probably answering the same questions over and over and over again and have to make it sound like they haven't heard the question before. Like they care about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a gift in itself. Arnold Palmer was the best I ever saw at that. He could be asked the same question for the thousandth time in his career and he would answer you like he's never heard that question before. So it, it's a talent to do that. But it, it's a grind sitting there. Um, for the media as well, trying to come up and try to make things interesting, not ask stupid questions, uh, try to find storylines and uh, revolving your questions around those storylines. But it's it's a fun day. It's an interesting day. It's a long day. Um, Holly Foster and Henrico's got a question about UVA. Um, and their swim and dive team. I'll, I'll table that question till the end of the show. Personally, I do not know much about the swim and dive team at UVA. I do appreciate your support of the show, Holly Foster and Henrico, um, and asking the question. Um, fourth in the in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Does the conference look deep this year? Is the conference a a a front runner for best conference in in college basketball? Do we have an opportunity to see a couple teams in the Final Four this year from the ACC? I think it's possible because Duke um, has had another great recruiting year. Uh, they had more players coming back to this team than I think they even expected. They'll probably uh, be a team that's dominant uh, from wire to wire. I, I don't know that they're the best team in the country, but uh, they're certainly the best team in the ACC right now. The talent level there's a, a chasm between Duke and everybody else, I think. And look, but like Tony Bennett says, sometimes the best team with the best talent doesn't always win. So uh, I think uh, Duke certainly has a chance. Uh, Got to hand it to Jim Laranega down in Miami. He was oh. in the finals last year. He's amazing. Uh, he is amazing. He's an amazing dude. Uh, he always finds the right pieces and always finds a way to blend them together and make his team relevant regardless of what happens. The only thing that has set him back over the years has been key injuries. But th this guy can coach. Absolutely. And uh, he knows the ACC. He, he, Carolina, you can never count Carolina out because they attract talent. Tony Bennett loves this basketball team that he has, even though it's got ten new faces on it. I love this basketball team. I, I think this team is going to be a lot of fun to watch for Virginia fans. 
And then after that, uh, it might drop off a little bit, but uh, there's some, some other teams there that could make things interesting uh, as the season progresses if, if they can bring their teams along. Um, Tony Bennett has got talent in the backcourt, talent in the frontcourt, and it's got a good problem here with where the minute's going to go to which players. Maybe eight to ten guys could see minutes um, at any point this season, which is fantastic. One of the aspects I really want to highlight about this team is outside shooting. Um, outside shooting, perimeter shooting, three-point shooting has been an issue for this basketball team for a couple of years. On this roster, you have shooting all over the roster. Absolutely. And uh, we were over at UVA Media Day yesterday at John Paul Jones Arena. How did that go? That, that was went well, as usual. And um, got to talk to a few of the players and Tony again for the second time in less, in less than a week. But, um, you know, he, he likes this basketball team. It, it's, he said something that caught my eye yesterday when he said that, you know, we could have a revolving door of starting lineups, which, you know, Tony usually goes with the same guys game after game after game after game. But he may change that this year. Depending on the team he's playing, depending on matchups, I think – we could see a lot of guys revolving into that starting lineup because he has depth, uh, legitimate depth, playing depth. This is a more athletic team than we've seen in a while here. Um, really strong backcourt. Uh, the, the, the fact that uh, his defense can put two point guards out there in Reese Beekman and Dante Harris, that are two of the better on-ball defenders in the country. And then he's got Ryan Dunn, who's... Yeah. I mean, imagine getting by Ryan Dunn, who's 6'8", with a wingspan of 7 and change, and a guy who's got the lateral quickness and athleticism to legitimately guard four positions. Yes. And Leon Bond is a guy who can defend multiple positions as well. I think he's going to be a factor. Um... They don't have a seven-foot giant back there to swat shots away. This is not going to be a, a strong shot-blocking team, but I, I don't think they're going to need that. Um, like I said, with you, if you have two on-ball defenders like that who are up in your grill for 40 minutes, it, it allows you – the way Tony likes to do things is get his defense back down the floor in a hurry and set up. And if you have two on-ball defenders like that, that gives you even more time to settle into your defensive positions behind them because you, you figure nobody's going to beat them down the lane very often for for position. So I think that the, you know not only will they be better on defense but offense as well. They got some shooters. Um, your starting lineup, multiple people asking the question. Kevin Yancey, who's, who's in Waynesboro here, he says, I bet my last dollar if Dabu Sweeney gets fired, Tony Elliott is southbound. I kind of want to pick that one apart. I'm sure you do as well. I, think, I don't think Dabu Sweeney's getting fired. I know 4-4 four and four has got a lot of folks in Clemson frustrated. The guy's won two national championships in seven years. Let's give the guy some credit here. He's got, I don't know, how many 10-win-plus seasons on his resume. Dabu Sweeney, I think, is safe. Furthermore, 
I don't think Tony Elliott would be the guy that Clemson would go after if Dabu Sweeney would get fired. I think they'd probably want a, a more high-profile coach than Tony Elliott and uh, Death Valley. That's just my two cents here. I see on four, four different viewers and listeners are saying, what's Ratcliffe's starting lineup for basketball? Do you agree on my – I totally agree with yeah. you. I, yeah. Dabo's not going anywhere. He's done too much. <clears throat> he has a lot of credit there over the years. They're having uh, – yeah, sure, they've dropped off, but it's, some, it's not something that they can't correct. Right. And, you know, if any heads roll, it'll probably be some staff members. It won't be the head coach. And, no, I don't think Tony Elliott would be a candidate if that job would come open, which I don't think it would unless Dabo decides to leave on his own and go somewhere else, which I don't see that happening either. No. But um, I, I agree with you. They'd go for a more high-profile candidate, somebody who's proven that they could win on that level, uh, not just win, but win big. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. My, I mean, starting, my starting lineup right now uh, would be – McNeely, Bigman. Backcourt. Uh, Dunn. Uh, Minor probably at the post, although that that could change. That I think that's one of those places where Tony's talking about they could change a lot. Why, with Buchanan? Buchanan, poss- possibly even Groves or, or possibly even Dunn. Um, but I, I, I think that it'll be Minor or, or uh, Buchanan. Buchanan's a lot more physical than we thought he was, so right. I think he could be in there. Um, a lot of people have uh, – Blake Buchanan, guys, is the first year. He's a freshman. He's listed at 6'11", 225, a kid from Idaho. A lot of folks uh, comparing him to uh, – what was the Italian stallion? Not He was Argentinian. Uh, uh, one with more talent and upside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Caffaro. Yeah, yeah, with, with pronouncing wrong. Right, for his whole wrong. career, and then finally in his last year, he's like, actually, it's pronounced this way. Can you yeah. change it? Yeah, I, I don't think that he's the same body type as him. He's he's a little more long and lean, and he's more t- and he's got more skill. He has definitely more skill. Yeah. He, he can score the basket, but uh, uh, he is more physical than we we thought he was, and he's. Impressed the coaching staff a lot over the past few weeks. Uh, I think in in those scrimmages against UConn and Maryland, he's shown some stuff. But, uh, you know, I I think you you have so many pieces there that you can move in and out of the lineup. And a lot of these guys can play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. Uh, We may see it where he has Harris and Bigman and McNeely all starting as three guards, um, some for defensive purposes, some for offensive purposes. Uh, like I said, Bond is going to be a, a key player. You got Rody who can come in and shoot it. You got Groves who can shoot it a lot better than people might think. Um, I'm missing somebody here. No, that's it. You got Bond. I mean, looking like on paper right now, I'm seeing a starting five of Beekman and McNeely in the backcourt, the frontcourt, Minor, Bond, and Dunn. Bond is the most intriguing player on the team for me. I think folks have already, whether it's fair or not, people are already making the comparisons with Ryan Dunn and 
DeAndre Hunter. Yeah. I don't think it's fair. This guy's a 19, 20-year-old kid, and they're comparing him to an $80 million-plus NBA All-Star before the second season of his college career. Yeah, I mean, he played 11 minutes a game last year. Every three points a game. And, like and, less than three points a game. He, he does have tremendous upside, and I know people are looking at him and putting a lot of heavy expectations on him. A lot of people already he, calling he, him a lottery pick. He's, he's got a good head on his shoulder, and he's taken a lot of counseling from his older brother who plays for the Cincinnati Reds, I believe, or at least he did. I don't know if he's still with the Reds or not, but uh, he's been through all this himself, and so he shares that knowledge with, with Ryan, who is very receptive to it and has, like I said, he's a very thoughtful kid. He's taking all this attention in in stride. He he hasn't gotten a big head. Um, I, I think he realizes that he, he wants to prove to people that he's worthy of this, all this mention rather than just gain it for what he did in, in little minutes last year. Leon Bond is the one that really intrigues me. I'm about to write a story on him. I think he's. I think he could be the X factor of this basketball team because he can do it on both ends of the floor. Two-way player. Uh, we heard a lot of stuff about how good he was in practice last year when he redshirted as a freshman. And I asked. I asked him about that yesterday. He said, "Well, I needed. I needed that redshirt year because for the ACC basketball wars." You got to be a big, strong, physical guy, and I was lacking in that area, and not any not any longer. He's he's a he's a grown man. Viewers and listeners, college basketball, UVA Monday. We got a uh, we got a ball game. It's Tarleton State on Monday in the John Paul Jones Arena, and then the second game of the season, no slouch, Florida in the Hall of Fame series at a neutral site in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's Friday, November 10th. So on the 10th of November, you got the Gators and the Wahoos matching up which in what should be a very well-televised basketball game. My friend, 11.30, time flies when you're having fun. Chad Wood, thank you for watching the broadcast. Kevin Yancey, thank you for watching the broadcast. I counted seven different states on today's program. It airs wherever you get your social media, wherever you get your podcasts. How about some closing thoughts for the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer? Well, Virginia's basketball program got some good news since our last show in that they uh, got a commitment from Ishran Sharma, a 6'5 shooting guard from Canada. Yep. Uh, talked to a Canadian basketball analyst up there, and he said that this kid has tremendous upside. Um, that's a, it's a good thing. He's for the class of 2025. And at 5.30 p.m. today, you can find the information on my website, a link to watch the Jacob Wilkins commitment. It's down to Virginia and Georgia. Dominique Wilkins' son, uh, stepbrother of Isaiah Wilkins. A lot of people are predicting it's Georgia because of Dominique's strong bond with that program. But... Georgia doesn't have as many banners hanging up in its arena <laughs> as Virginia true. does, so perhaps Virginia might sneak in there and steal one from a, a really outstanding prospect that from the Atlanta suburbs. Uh, my friend, this is uh, truly a pleasure. JerryRackliff.com is the website. I read it 
multiple times a day. Check it out online, jerryratcliffe.com. For anything UVA sports related, it's your source for Wahoo Athletics. Thank you to the viewers and listeners for their questions, their comments. We very much appreciate the questions from the viewers and listeners as you shape this show. Next Tuesday, we got basketball, we got football. Um, just a great time of year for Wahoo fans. Yeah, this is the November crossover, so uh, if you're a sports fan, you, you got to love it. If you're a sports fan, you got to love it. If you're a sports journalist, writer, commentator, talking head, it's a hectic time of year. So say thank you to your, uh, sports, your sports journos out there. Judah Wickhauer, director and producer, salute to you. J-Dubs, Judah Wickhauer, thank you kindly. Absolutely. Show archive wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Jerry and Jerry Show, Tuesdays at 10, 15 a.m. right here on the I Love Seville Network. Thank you for joining us. So long, everybody.